Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. This morning, family, I have the privilege of sharing with you a message that you've discovered as soon as you walk through the doors. So your thoughts are probably running ahead and you're already filling in the message as I speak. But like Michael did this morning, I want to just return to last week. Before we, we journey on through, I want to talk about what, are we, what is this process, what is this question that we're asking? And the question that we're asking is, who are we? Who is Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship? That's important to remember. That's, this is the process that we're doing, very introspective. So we can read, we are a family on a journey to become more like Christ. Now, it's not finished yet, but this is what we, we, we're expounding on it as we go, week by week. So, shall we unpack this together, family? Yes. So, like Michael said last week, we're a family. Now, please, we all know, a family is not defined by what we call ourselves, or even what we put on a wall, or what we, in word. It's not something that is just a label that we can say, family. Family is realized in how we experience each other. Families are continually involved in each other's lives on a day-to-day basis. Something that this world has forgotten. Do you agree? Even in our own biological families, our extended families, although we have more means of communication, we communicate, and even worse, we visit each other less. This is a plague of society today. So, in my research of just a brief explanation of family, I altered a definition, slightly altered a definition to, to, for me that resonated what family is. It says this, A family is a group of people united and guided by certain convictions, beliefs, and morals. One who love and care for one another deeply and oftentimes put each other's needs and preferences before their own. It's a group whose love is not hindered by time, space, or circumstances. Like Michael referenced last week, John chapter 13, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, my family, if you love one another as I have loved you. You see, we experience each other as family when we follow Jesus' very practical demonstration of what love looks like in a family. Before Jesus uttered those words that we all know, that I just read, that we love one another as he has loved us, he, did a, he entered into a very practical demonstration. You see, Jesus was a rabbi, he was a teacher. And in those days, they didn't just teach by words, sitting and communicating, they taught by their lives, firstly, and secondly, they demonstrated in every day of their lives, which we're going to find out more. But Jesus did a powerful act, a powerful demonstration of what this love looks like. We're going to read it from John chapter 13, verse 4 to 5. It's not going to be up on the screen, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. So he got, got up from the meal. He took off his outer robe, and he took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet and dry them with this towel. Now, briefly, we all know the, the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, but we forget that just a little while earlier, the disciples were arguing with each other, saying, who's the greatest? Who's going to sit on Jesus' left or right? You see, and it was customary in the Jewish culture before you eat a meal, like we tell our kids, go wash your hands, that they wash their hands and their feet. 
You see, they sat and they ate on a reclining table, which was very low, and you would overlap each other, and someone else's feet was pretty close to your face while you were eating. So it not only was it a, a ritual and a religious activity, but it was good hygiene to do such a thing. But notice, no disciples, there was no servant around. There was no one there to wash their feet, as is supposed to be the custom, especially now at this cedar meal or the Last Supper. No one wanted to do it either. No one wanted to become that lowly servant. But who did it? Jesus. Jesus' act of choosing to become the lowliest of servants, removing his robe, taking up a towel, and washing his disciples' feet, even those of Judas, the man who was soon, within those very hours, were going to betray him, and Jesus knew it, reflects how our Creator God, and I'm going to quote from Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 to 8, reflects how our Creator God stripped himself of his glory and took on him the nature of a bondservant by becoming a man like other men and being recognized as truly human, he humbled himself and even stooped to die, yes, to die on a cross. You see, that act of washing the disciples' feet not only fulfilled the words of loving one another as I have loved you, but it was a very practical and prophetic act of how Jesus' love is Jesus' love for us. And not, not only for his disciples, but for all humanity. What he was about to do on that cross, he did in a small, tangible way in washing dirty feet of a disciples that were in division. You see, as we progress through the definition, and I'm going to flow through it, I'm not going to break it off into chunks, this, this is what it means to become like Christ. Because this is what Christ became for us. You might say to me, Stephen, this love seems too big, it seems too hard to live out in our natural minds. And I say, yeah, you're right, it is hard. So how do we become like Christ? How do we embark on such a journey together? How do we journey to become like Christ? Let's read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2 from the message. Watch what God does, then do it. Like little children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. That for me is one of my favorite verses and favorite translations of that verse. You see, it's the words there that watch, learn, keep company, observe. Pastor Ken shared with us in a, in a Friday morning gathering, he said Christianity, I paraphrase, he said Christianity being like a Christian is not defined in morality by doing good or right. Rather, it is defined in the relationship with our Heavenly Father, in Christ Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Christianity, can we all agree, is not a religion that we just practice. It's an intimate relationship that we experience. There's, there's a person behind our beliefs, and that person, that's where our belief lies, in Jesus Christ. You see, as Ephesians 5 said to us, it's when we spend time with the very nature of our Father, Jesus, His Word, and through His Spirit, when we share life with Him, we start to reflect Him. Remember, we have Jesus inside of us through the Holy Spirit. We just need to spend time with Him and get to know Him intimately. Now, 
I want to share a short story with you of a book that I'm currently reading and really enjoying, which further illustrates on how we can become like Christ. The book is called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, and it's from an author called Anne Spangler. It's not a story you'd expect, but let me just read it and we can talk about it. So excuse my reading. I wish I had another orator or author that can... But you got me, so we'll go, we'll go through. She says, Consider the experience of Ang Sabin Peter, an accomplished potter who recently served a six-month apprenticeship under Masaki Shibata, a well-known Japanese potter. Before journeying to Japan, Ang imagined herself studying with the aged craftsman, an artist she had long admired. She envisioned herself shaping beautiful pottery on his wheel, his decades of skill sharpening her own expertise. Aware that his apprentices usually served for four years, but impatient about taking too much time away from her work, she hoped a short tutorial would suffice. At the start of her apprenticeship, Ang knew little or nothing of ancient Japanese tradition that Masaki Shibata would have been well aware of. The tradition of becoming a uchi deshi, an apprentice to skilled craftsmen, to learn a craft, a teenage boy would be adopted, yes, adopted, into his master's household, living as a member of the family during his apprenticeship and participating in every aspect of life of the home and the shop. Now, that is a tradition that is not un only unique to Japan's culture, but most Eastern culture and most ancient cultures, especially Israel, where to become, for example, Jesus. He was a, a carpenter. Now, if, if, if uh, his natural father, Joseph, wasn't a carpenter, he would have had to move if he was going to that trade, and he would be adopted into that family and observe not just the skill and the artisan of craftsmanship and carpentry, but the whole life of a carpenter. Okay? Let me continue. He would have had much more to learn than just how to throw and glaze pottery and would begin by performing menial tasks, including housework. The boy had to learn to do everything in just the right way. Only after years of apprenticeship would the Uchi Deshi be trusted to throw pots that the master craftsman would embellish with his designs and sign with his famous name. Now this is the most powerful part. You cannot separate life from work. Shabata told Ang, his new apprentice one day, the way you do the most insignificant activity in your daily life will reflect in your work. Doesn't that sound familiar? We all know the scripture. Then he sent her to the rice fields to dig for clay instead of inviting her to sit down at his wheel. Her pride chafed at not being asked to demonstrate her own skill. In fact, Shabata did not allow her to throw even one piece of pottery during her six-month stay in Japan. One day over lunch, Shabata's wife confided. You see, it's not just the master that she's in, in relationship with, but the whole family. And Shabata's wife said, when you came to us, you were, fully, you were like a fully grown tree with big branches. We have to cut those branches for something new to be able to grow. But all Ang felt was the cutting. Still, as she toiled at her humble chores, she snatched every chance to watch the master potter at work. So you can just imagine her grumbling and doing all those chores, and she's just watching, trying to, in just in being around this master. Returning home, she felt deflated and defeated, afraid that her six months in Japan had been a complete waste. But when she sat down at her wheel, she began to sense a subtle difference. Something had changed. 
Then, as the kiln, kiln door opened on her new work, she marveled at the result. Without knowing it, she had been absorbing a new way of doing things. Her eyes had gained an aesthetic sense of distinguishing excellent work from merely acceptable work. Thanks to her time with Masaki Shibata, Ang Peter's approach to her craft had been transformed. Delight, delightedly, she caressed each new vessel, admiring how the influence of a Japanese master had blended beautifully with her own personality to transform each of her new creations. Now that's just spending time with that master craftsman, not even working behind the wheel. You see, what I'm trying to say is, it's a journey. Another author puts it this way, being created in the image of God is not a state or condition, but a movement with a goal. Human beings are restless for fulfillment of a life that is not yet realized. Although all humans even now are in the image of God, that image is fully embodied, embodied by Jesus Christ, according to whose image we are being shaped and conformed. Thus, the image is both present reality and a dynamic and progressive goal toward which we are moving. Would you agree to that? That's why we say we're on a journey to become like Christ. It's a continual, progressive, and dynamic goal that we're reaching for. See, this is the, cru the crux, even the cross, like we've shown there. The cross represents a continual process of becoming like Christ. This is the journey that we are on, not as just individuals, but as a family together. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Let me read it from the Passion Translation. If you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life, and you must be willing to share my cross and experience as your own, as you continue to surrender to my ways. You see, our salvation was immediate, but our crucifixion is continual. When helping with the design of what you see in front of you, for me, I couldn't, as much as I tried, come up with any other imagery that sums up Jesus other than the cross. You see, I think that's why it's such a pivotal symbol for our faith. And that's what it is. It just represents what Jesus went through, not just on that cross, but in his life and his death and his resurrection. And he, what, what he asks us to do today, to enter into a journey to become like him a shared journey, like we said, as a family. You see, if we exemplify a love like Christ, if we demonstrate a love like Christ demonstrates, it can never be an isolated journey. Do we all agree? Jesus chose at least 12 men to walk with him from all different walks of life, people that we could say maybe they wouldn't have got along with each other, they probably didn't, right? You see, as we embark on this together as sheep, following Christ, our shepherd, he doesn't just leave us. Remember, he's the shepherd that never leaves us nor forsakes us. So we shouldn't leave or forsake each other either. Yeah. Let me read another passage of Scripture. And this morning, it's, it's a brief. I'm not going to spend too much time explaining what we're doing because it's a, it's a hard attitude that shouldn't just be spoken here, but it should be demonstrated within all of us as we walk together. And family is not easy. Amen? There's no perfect family. But that's the point of family, that in our imperfections that we are drawn together and we help 
overcome what we are facing. So let me read another passage of Scripture that, that celebrates a greater new covenant we have through Jesus, one that enables us to have an intimate relationship with Him, and that's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 to 18 from the message. Now, I would love to give you a big exegetical study of the Scripture uh, and this powerful verse and the whole chapter. For me, I would love to do that in a Bible study context, but we are not in a Bible study context now. So let's just read it and then we can talk about it. Verse 16. Whenever, though, they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil and there they are, face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old, constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We are free from it. All of us. Nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of His face. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him. For me, that last sentence is a beautiful explanation of this journey to become like Christ. Our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him. You see, what Paul's doing in 2 Corinthians, I'll do a short explanation, is that Throughout the whole chapter, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you, you will see he talks about how wonderful and glorious the old covenant was. Uh, in discussing with Siobhan, you could say, the old covenant is the way we experience the sun. Is the sun glorious? Is it amazing? Is it wonderful? Does it affect our everyday lives? Yes, of course it does. Nothing shades us from the glory of the sun. As Moses encountered God on a face-to-face basis. But you see, in comparison to the old covenant. You can take now the sun is the old covenant. What would be the new covenant is the greatest star they have yet found on this earth. And we're not going to give you a physical representation, but if, if, that, if that new sun was a basketball, our current sun would be a little speck of sand. That is how we have inhibited access to the Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We no longer have to just encounter him through, like they said, a chiseled stone. We don't have to encounter a form of him. We can encounter who he is, his essence, love, through the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. You see, that's, that's how we can become more like Christ, is if, if we encounter him, if we behold him. Let me continue to read from Anne Spangler's book, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, to, to bring this alive to what I'm saying. The Gospels make it clear that this is the kind of relationship Jesus had with his own disciples. They followed him everywhere, and as they did, their hearts were challenged and changed. Jesus was constantly surprising his disciples, both by his words and by his actions. He was challenging their way of looking at God and at others, welcoming sinners into his kingdom and associating with people other rabbis would have scorned. But the changes that he worked in his disciples' lives did not come instantly or even easily. Our culture is fascinated with instant fixes and extreme makeovers. Just like Ang Peter that we read earlier, we chafe at the years it takes to train as an apprentice. 
But discipleship has always been about the process. It's always been about the journey. As Christians, we can become addicted to stories of miraculous change, believing that if God is listening to our prayers, every sinful urge we feel will be healed immediately. Contrast contrast this to the record of the Gospels. Think how often the disciples messed up. Right? Plenty. They made mistakes to the very end, even on the last night they spent with Jesus prior to his death, eventually abandoning him to, to suffer the cross alone. While the Gospels record many instances of Jesus instantly healing people's illness, we know of not even one instance in which he simply waved his, his hand to immediately fix an ugly habit for one of his disciples. Uh, that's quite true, isn't it? He corrects them, he instructs them, he shows them, most important, he demonstrates what love, how they should love, but he doesn't just wave his hand and heal them of their challenges. This is what's important. Instead, he simply kept teaching and correcting them, giving them time to grow. God seems to work like this much of the time with our, in ourselves, in our own lives. He lets our weakness and difficulties drive us to himself, keeping us close. Miracles happen, but the inner transformation we so desperately desire can only be achieved over time. God seems to prefer it this way, perhaps because he knows we can only become like him by maintaining a constant, close connection. For me, that, when I read that, that's it just struck my heart. You see, in our daily walks, we do focus on the circumstances. We do focus on the frustrations. We chafe, like that Anne Peter's example, where we don't, we're not experiencing what we want to experience. In a world like today, everything is fast-tracked, but you can't fast-track relationships. Yeah. You see, Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples. While he was on the earth after his resurrection, he had, a, he had bright fish on the beach and just spent time with them. For me, that is one of the most powerful examples of how he loved them. It's the time that we spend with our, our Savior, and we know him personally as our Christ, as our Savior, that we get to know him through his word, through his Holy Spirit. And he, he says, you know, Stephen, I wouldn't do it that way. Maybe you should try it this way. Or, Stephen, you've tried your way long enough. Why don't you just listen to me for a while? See, it's when we interact with him, when we allow him to speak at every instance of our lives, in every interaction that we have, when we start listening to him, he starts reflecting through us, and our relationships around us would improve. We can only become like him by maintaining a constant, close connection. Do you understand that relationships is not so much measured in just time alone, but quality time and quantity time as well. You can be with your significant other, but you could be focusing on something else and robbing yourselves of the, the joy of their, of their company. You see, as we walk this earth, there's a lot of things to occupy our minds and space. And yes, Jesus is on the inside of us, and yes, he is with us, but he, he longs for us to ask him things. He longs for us to interact with him. He longs for us to say, Jesus, what do you think about this? And I think that's the beauty of our relationship with, with our Heavenly Father and Jesus the Son. Like I said, I'm not taking long this morning in explaining what it means to be a family on a journey to become like Christ because it cannot just be explained in one sitting. It's something we have to experience each other as family in the, on a journey, a process of time 
to become more like our Heavenly Father through Christ Jesus. So this morning, we're going to have communion. Now, we have given just a little focus of what it means to become like Christ. So I don't need to feel that I have to say too much about communion, other than the following. It's communion. Firstly, our union with Christ. That's why we come to this table as a remembrance that our lives and our hearts are joining with His. We're partaking of His body into our own. We take more of Him, we become more of Him in the symbolic act, sharing both in His death and in His resurrection. Indeed, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Secondly, and just as importantly, it's our union with each other. Becoming a family, Christ's family. You see, we demonstrate our union with Christ in sharing His love all around us. That song that we sang, Worthy, was such an impactful song for me to sing, and I was so blessed to hear Pastor Ken also share that. Because for me, that's what really tugged at my heartstrings, is that when we experience the love of Jesus Christ, the love of our Father, we cannot but help but share, us, share it all around us. You see, the verse that we always read, or the passage of Scripture that we always read in taking communion, which is the first Corinthians Scripture reference, that was Paul's focus. He was focusing on the, the love that we share all around us and that how it was not evident in the church of Corinth at that time and how he exhorted them and corrected them and saying, you cannot take this cup in an unworthy manner because the love that you're demonstrating here or the lack thereof is a reflection of your love with your Father. Indeed, loving your neighbor as now Christ has loved us. Thus completing both halves of the greatest love commandment given by Jesus himself. Loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, soul, and mind, being at union with him, and loving our neighbors as Christ has loved us, being at union with each other. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.